Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to part three of this week of The Melanin Report. I'm your host, Marquis Lufton, and we have a joyfully glorious show for you today. It's Friday, so it's monologue day, and today we're diving deep into the rich history of the black church in America. And you know how I like to bring in a panel to discuss these tough topics and end each show with things that make you say, hmm. So today we have Jamar Johnson and my mom, Reverend Sherry Lupton, or Pastor Mom, as I like to call her, joining us in studio today. This is part three of our podcast series this week, and we started this week discussing Airbnb stricter rules, HBCUs tightening security, and the celebration of America having 3.5 million businesses owned by black people. So if you have not checked out that, I implore you to go check that out. Also, we have a dope interview this week with Chef Oliver Say, who took us down a culinary history lesson. And now, this. Martin Luther King Jr. once proclaimed that one of the greatest tragedies of our nation is that Sunday morning at 11 a.m. is one of the most segregated hours in America. What Dr. King was alluding to was how the black church was still segregated from mainstream America even in the 60s. But does that still exist today? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that brings us to our monologue. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The black church. Foundational to black religious, political, economic, and social life, black churches continue to inform and shape black identity today. They serve as houses of worship, as well as safe havens, social centers, and cultural warehouses, and provide vital social services and spaces that uplift their communities. And with a religious affiliation on the decline, continuing racism in our country, and increasing income inequality, some scholars and activists are soul-searching about the black church's role in today's United States. The story of how the black church became such a powerful voice of activism, change, and outreach stretches back many years. And when the black church picked its first fight, it picked a fight to rally against slavery. Now, before we get into the origin story of the black church, I do want to point out that the phrase black church is bothersome in itself because the black church is not a monolith. What? Its members hold different theological positions and hail from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, education levels, and political affiliations. The catch-all phrase black church is often lazy and shorthand that evolved from the phrase the Negro church. And while in general usage, it may refer to any congregation predominantly made up of African-Americans. However, it is most often associated with one of seven major denominations, which include African Methodist Episcopal Church, African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, Church of God in Christ, National Baptist Convention of America, National Baptist Convention USA, and finally, Progressive National Baptist Convention. Wow. The black church origin story began in the 15th and 16th centuries when European empires authorized the capture, auction, and enslavement of various peoples from across the coasts of West and Central Africa. Hold on to your butts. Yes, 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 indeed. Hold on to your butts because this is about to get deep. 
As millions of these humans were transported through and across the Atlantic Ocean against their own will, may I add that, to the Americas, Europeans forcefully baptized the enslaved into the Christian faith, despite many of them adhering to traditional African religious systems and even Islam. European slave traders dismissed African religion as heathenism to justify their enslavement of Africans and the intimidating preaching of Christianity to those enslaved. Say what? And then in the 1600s, British missionaries traveled throughout the American colonies to convert enslaved Africans and the indigenous peoples of the continent. Originally, however, white slaveholders were hesitant to convert enslaved Africans to Christianity because they feared that Christian baptism would lead to the enslaved Africans' freedom, causing both economic and social upheaval. It was widely assumed that British laws mandated the freedom of all baptized Christians, and thus white slaveholders initially refused to grant missionaries permission to instruct enslaved Africans into the Christian faith. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Now by 1706, six colonies out of the 13 had passed laws that declared that the Africans' Christian status did not alter their social condition as slaves. Consequently, missionaries created slave catechisms, modified religious instruction manuals that instructed enslaved Africans about Christianity while reinforcing their enslavement. The black church has played a vital role in the shaping of American political history as well. African-American churches provided spaces for not only spiritual formation, but also political activism as well. Black churches were spaces where slave abolitionism was envisioned and insurrections were planned. Black preachers such as Denmark Vesey and Nat Turner were actively involved in attempted and successful slave insurrections in the South. And during the Reconstruction era, the African Methodist Episcopal Bishop Henry McNeil Turner served as one of the first African-American legislators for the state of Georgia. Turner was famous for his scathing critiques of American Christianity and the nation at large. Get him. Oh, green Jimmy the Cricket Soup. Get him. Oh, short Colin Powell haircut hat. And during the Jim Crow era, many black Christians participated in the civil rights movement, including Bayard Rustin, an openly gay Quaker who was instrumental in organizing the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom on August 28, 1963. Many of you all may recognize this as the day that Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his I Have a Dream speech. And Pauli Murray, the first black woman to be ordained in the Episcopal Church, was a lawyer, legal scholar, civil rights and gender equality advocate, as well as a poet. Murray compiled an extensive collection of laws and ordinances that mandated racial segregation and wrote extensively on women's rights. Wow. The black church's emphasis on social justice may seem baffling to outsiders who think churches shouldn't get involved in politics. But the black church was forged during the crux of slavery and slave Africans drew hope from stories like Moses leading the children out of bondage. And for them, Christianity was about liberation from injustice, not just personal sin. And for decades, the black church was the only independent institution in the black community that had the sufficient numbers and resources to push for social change. Today, we see groups like Black Lives Matter that aren't as dependent on the black church and can mobilize people on social media. However, not all African-Americans, let alone Christian African-Americans, participated in efforts to end social segregation. Say what? Yes, yes, yes. Fearing violent backlash. 
from their white counterparts. But despite the black church's key place in black life, 47% of African Americans believe that predominantly black churches are less influential today than they were 50 years ago, according to a Pew study. And only 30% think they are more influential than yesteryear. The study also goes on to say that despite this decline, black churches are declining at a slower pace than other religious groups. And African-Americans are still one of the most heavily religious racial groups in the United States. So, yes, while Afro-Christianity is losing relevance among younger millennials and Gen Zers, black churches continue to have influence. But the lack of affiliation does not reflect an absence of belief because, according to this study, 90% of religiously unaffiliated black Americans say they believe in God or a higher power, and slightly more than half at 54% say they pray at least a few times each month. Get behind me, Satan. So the status and role of the black church in the post-civil rights era has been the subject of lively debate among African-American scholars. Some argue that the black church is dead, that it has lost its prophetic and progressive voice and its capacity to mobilize for reform on the national stage is gone. Others argue the church is very much alive. And for more than 300 years, the black church in America has provided a safe haven for black Christians in a nation shadowed by the legacy of slavery and a society that remains defined by race and class. Inspired by the story of Exodus, African-Americans can think out, pray out and shout out their anger and aspirations free from the unstated yet powerful constraints that govern dialogue with the larger white society. In the pulpit and the pews, in the choir lofts and the Sunday schools, the black church continues to offer affirmation and dignity to people still searching for equality and justice, still willing to reach out for a more inclusive tomorrow. I'm Marquise Lupton, and now on to our panel. So for our panel discussion today, we have joining us ordained elder from First Calvary Church of God in Christ and Harrisburg native Jamar Johnson. And also joining him, we have from the city of brotherly love, Reverend Sherry Lupton from beloved St. John Evangelistic Church. I want to thank you two for joining us today. And we're going to start off with Jamar. Jamar, what say you about these details about the history of the black church and where it stands today? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for allowing me to grace hip hop and politics. Yes. It's um, a great honor and privilege, especially to sit on the panel with Reverend um, Sherry Lumpton. I don't know. I always want to say Reverend Doc. <laughs> we'll say Reverend uh, Sherry Lumpton. I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to sit on this panel yeah. um, and speak about the black church. It's so much great history that comes from the black church. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to give a big shout out to Dr. Henry Louis Gates, mm. um, who actually I was able to see the four hour documentary on WITF hey. um, about the black church. This is my story. Mm. This is my song. And I thought it was put together so wonderfully. Yeah. Um, it talked about the history. And one thing I've always been taught is you got to know where you came from in order to know where you're going. Dig it. And it showed me the importance of doing the work myself and getting to know what I'm a part of. And I tell a lot of young people, especially 
know what you're involved with, know what you're a part of, whatever organizations you may be a part of. Um, I have to say this. I heard someone say it this way. Our work is to preserve the parts of tradition that's worth preserving mm. and leave behind the path, the rest. Mm. And I heard, um, I want to preference this question off by saying I heard Dr. Well, Trina Middleton say this, and I think it was a good part of history that I learned about Sojourner Truth. Yeah. Um, it talked about as she was a young child and she was enslaved on a Dutch plantation. She was separated from her family. And on this plantation where she was sent to, she was able to build an altar. Um, even without having any understanding of what an altar was, the symbolism of it, anything. And it came from the teachings of her mother and the traditions that were passed down from her African ancestry. And the fact that this young child would build an altar was really, really phenomenal. And so when we think of the various rituals and practices and things that we do, um, even in the black church today, mm -hmm. we have to have it connected to what we were taught um, from those past ancestry things that were passed down through the years. And so the traditions of the black church can never be forgotten because they are what kept us alive. And yeah. it's also a part of how we want to thrive and move forward. Um, when I think about the different things about the past and the history of the struggles and the different type of movements in the black churches back in, in the day, you have um, different organizations like NAACP, yeah. uh, CORE. You also even have um, SELC and mm -hmm. SNCC. And these are different organizations that were a hub that came to the church that when they wanted to get their message out, they came to the church because they knew if anybody was going to listen to us, it was the black church. Yeah. And so I'm grateful. Um of where the identity, where it stands today, is very important. We can't be forgotten. Um, we stand on some great shoulders, yes. um, some great pillars in our communities that laid foundations. I would not be where I'm at if it wasn't for the men and the women and the grandmothers and the aunties in the black church because yeah. I can do what I do because they did what they did. They have done, and they paid a great path, and I want to keep that alive. And I think, you know, it's important for, like I said, us as young people— um, me being a, a young, um, an older millennial, I would say, um, to teach the young people, don't forget that bridge that brought us over. Mm. Um, sometimes people want to burn that bridge down, but you cannot. You cannot forget that bridge because it's the history and the essence of the black church was keeping us today. I know that was a long That's all right. to the uh, answer of your, your question, but I think it's important just to speak on that, you know, it's so important in such rich history and um that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. How about you? Well, first of all, thank you very much, my firstborn, Marquise <laughs> Lupton. I am so proud to be here this afternoon uh, as your guest and as your mother discussing the um, black church. I would not be sitting here if it wasn't for the black church. I grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, St. Paul Baptist Church, uh, very close to my uh, uh, late pastor, Pastor Dyson, all the deacons, the deaconess, all the women that wore hats and gloves and showed us the what, how to be a lady in church, their clothing, everything from the men, how they treated uh, women. We are all better because of the people in church from mm -hmm. even my English teacher, Dr. 
uh, Wandeland Enix. Uh, she was a member of Second Baptist Church in Bethlehem, and she would take us to Philadelphia to all different types of churches and have uh, all of us involved at, at her church. So I thank God for her and following the traditions of the black church. But I'm also looking at the black church from the foundation of the AME Church, uh, the African Methodist Episcopalian Church, um, looking at what they had to do, how they experienced um, discrimination. They mm -hmm. could not uh, pray at the altar. So ultimately, uh, Richard Allen started his own church so that they could be independent. After that, if we follow history, looking at the uh, historical of um, Silver Bluff, mm. which uh, is said that to be the first Baptist church um, outside of uh, Savannah, Georgia. But there are other churches, too, that claim that first. But regardless, these churches wanted to be independent. They they experienced uh, discrimination and racism at the majority church. So they wanted to be independent. Mm -hmm. Also would split the Methodists and the Baptist churches, because Baptists, we believe uh, in immersion. And so that is what split. But we have always, even when we before we were enslaved people, we've always believed in God, mm -hmm. regardless of uh other denominations, we always believed in God. And the northern countries of Africa, those were the first and second century churches. They were instrumental in the churches. And when we look at the Ethiopian and we look at how he uh, carried the good news. So we've always knew God. We knew Jesus and we carried uh, the good news to other people, and we are still doing it today. Like I said, we have a history behind us, and we have a legacy before us. And our great legacy of the black church will never crumble mm -mm. because we are the result of our ancestors. Well, to, um, to, to piggyback off of that, um, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, one of the things that were mentioned in the monologue was talking about the membership um, um, and, and talking about the decline, even though it's, it's slower than, than other de denominations and religions, uh, there's still a decline. So, um, Mom, I'm going to start off with you on this one. Uh, do, do you have um, an, any thoughts on, on uh, the black church losing its um, um, membership and do you think that there's our ways to increase it or reimagine church? Thank you, Marquise. One thing I want to um, quote is Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, mm. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So I just want to stress that, that nothing will um, will come against the church. Now, as far as. Uh, um, attendance, yes. Attendance, I don't have the statistics, but attendance is down across all denominations, uh, ethnic, mm -hmm. racial uh, churches. I believe what 
uh, as a result of the pandemic, a lot of people um, uh, with COVID, a lot of people were able to access church mm-hmm. on Facebook, on YouTube or other devices. And so I believe that that has increased our um, attendance. We do not In 2023, we do not have to go inside the physical church. We could download and get church from Mm -hmm. anywhere. So I believe that even though our attendance may be down in the physical church, that people are still getting saved, Mm -hmm. sanctified and delivered uh, because of the gospel. The truth is being told. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, And just to the point of Reverend um, Sherry is that during the pandemic, I think people found out is that you can take church everywhere. It's Mm -hmm. funny because I thought about it as if you grow up, I've seen a lot of the older um, individuals or or older uh, family members will watch different people on TV. And it was these big people. And they would just, you know, flock to the TV because they they found out about these different ministries and different things. And it's funny because in the 21st century now, we have it where we can take and we can watch these different things everywhere. Um, On the go, you can take your phone and you. So a lot of people, churches, to um, Reverend Sherry's point, have become and they started making I churches, mm-hmm. um, where it was internet churches, where they had the physical building, but they also had the internet church was just as big because to our point, we were able to go to three to four services during the pandemic yeah. and still be able to make your own service or watch the replay. And it was really um, cool because I had never had that opportunity because my obligation, of course, was to my church. So I didn't always have an opportunity to find out, oh, well, how was your church? Or let me see this. But the internet itself brought it about that we could take the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. And um, to your point, I think that membership has um, dwindled down. However, I believe to your point, it is being reimagined. And I think that it is being reimagined and also that the church always will have a remnant of individuals that will spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, people may walk away. The Bible has to fulfill itself, but he will always have a remnant of individuals that will spread the gospel. And I think his word is going out even more. You have platforms like this. Yeah. You have the radio, you have television, you have Internet. Um, even pe- I see people on TikTok, you know, yeah, doing yes. their ministry. So you have a way to get even to the young people. Um, so I believe that even in this generation, it's important to find out how can we reimagine on how to stay connected and have our uh, voices be heard. Even as a black church, um, you can dwindle down. Um, I applaud so many applauded so many young people during the pandemic that helped their ministry because they became a part of media teams. Mm. Didn't have any experience, but they became a part of the media team by just pulling out their phone and saying, Pastor, I'll make sure you get on live. I'll set up a, <laughs> a live for you. I'll do a YouTube. I'll do a stream. And it was able for the churches to go on. So that showed me that this next generation is taking it a, a step further, which is important that we can't forget about the old or the young. We had to be able to bridge the gap. And so whereas though the older individuals may not have known a lot about media and tech and different things like that, but the younger ones were able to bridge the gap and say, hey, pastor, let's do this. Let's try to get some angles and try to do this. Let's upper Wi-Fi and different things like that. So it's important that I think that going further, I think that 
we are seeing a resurgence, if I can mm-hmm. say that, yes. of people coming back to the church because people are looking for hope. It's so many crazy things going on right now. And yeah. I think people are just looking for hope. There's a number of different things that we can probably name, but no need to do that. But the important thing is that I think that it's a resurgence and it is being reimagined. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is yet the same. Amen. Yeah. I <clears throat> I want to thank you, too, for joining us. We have about um, a little under three minutes left. Um, so want to um, uh, just jump to our, our last question here, which actually goes hand in hand with what you two just uh, talked about. So, um, J- J- Jamar, we're going to start with you on this one. Um, the state of the black church five to seven years from now. Well, again, um, let me can I I wanted to go back to yeah. say one thing yeah, I, did wanna, I did want to say and to um, when we talk about black church. Me being a part of the denomination Church of God in Christ, we have rich history under our founder, um, Bishop uh, Charles Harrison Mason. And one of the things I thought about, even when it pertained to politics and church, was in 1941, during the World War II War, the temple was constructed. Mason Temple was constructed. Um, And it was during a time where you had... Um, shortage of steel that was going during that time. It was during the Great Depression. Um, But Mason Temple was one of the things that was able to be erected, which showed that God uh, will guide and God will provide. And one of the main big pivotal moments for Mason Temple was when Dr. Martin Luther King came Mm -hmm. in April of 1968 to give his last... speech was the mountaintop speech Mm. at Mason Temple. He spoke to support the Memphis sanitation strike workers and he called for nonviolent protests and in the fight for economic justice. And during that time, Dr. King spoke. And to my point is that the black church has always been relevant where we were able to bring voices like that to the church to speak truth to power. Um, Where we see the church going in the next five to 10 years, um, I pray again that we are reimagining on how we're connecting with different individuals. I know there was a time where, and and it's nothing wrong with that, and I tell people all the time, there are certain people that um, may need to be the ones that's going to go door to door, do different things like that. But now you have spaces where you have the internet, where you can connect with individuals, where you can share the gospel. So I think moving into this next um, five to ten years, you will see a lot of different churches really, I think, doing media doing things like that in the spirit of excellence. I think during the pandemic, we had to kind of pivot really quickly and do it. But now they see that it's important because you have all these individuals that may be in other countries or other parts of the city or other parts of uh, different states that want to connect to your church. Well, how do we do it most effectively where we can give somebody something? If they're in another city, they can feel like, hey, I may live in Pennsylvania, but if I'm in Georgia, I feel like I'm a part of your ministry. So how can we make those things relevant? And I think you have it by bringing young people to the table and then also having the elders listen. I think a lot of times we don't communicate. We don't listen. You know, sometimes people just talk, 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 but it's like, let's listen and hear each other out. What's going to work? What is not going to work? Which goes back to my point where I said our work is to be preserved in the parts of the tradition that's worth preserving, um, preserve and leave the rest behind. So there may be some things that's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. It may have worked today, 
but it may not work five years from now. So finding out what are the most effective ways that we can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, because ultimately we're trying to lead people back to the cross. That's hands down the number one thing in the black church. We're always trying to lead people back to the cross. But also, how can we reimagine and engage in this generation in order to keep thriving so that we don't fall behind? Because I believe as believers, we should be involved in every aspect of life, whether it's in politics, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's in government, whatever we're at, I think that we should have our voices heard because I believe that's what Jesus was. He took the gospel to the marketplace and that's yeah. what we should do. Amen. Mom. Amen. I I concur with you. I also believe that reimagining church is more inclusive. I believe that our voices need to be um, heard. I also agree that during the pandemic with the young people showing up, showing pastor, showing the different leadership in the church, all the different social medias, how to make ourselves relevant, Mm -hmm. that came from young people. So they do have now the pastors, the leaders of the church's ear Mm -hmm. that we could collectively come together. I believe that when young adults um, that are over ministries, they could uh, uh, get on Instagram, they could get on all the uh, TikTok and Facebook or anything else, and they know how to attract Mm -hmm. young uh, people within one to two minutes, and that's all that you need. And so I believe that when young people do come in church, the church leadership now will look at them differently Mm -hmm. because we are reimagining them. And they are are uh, our future. They are the future pastors, the bishops, the deacons, deaconess, uh, ministers. So today is different. We are reimagining that we are collectively strengthening the black church together. And can I say one other thing I wanted to say quickly to Reverend Sherry is that in that reimagining, um, I found out, you know, back in the day, we would spend all day at church. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, but you know what that taught us? It taught us the importance of community. Mm. And I yes. think in church, we miss that, you know, that importance of coming out and, and, and breaking bread. I mean, I looked forward to the times at the church where the old mothers would bring meals and they would, you know, we would go at the service and break bread and eat but you found out who you were worshiping with. You found out that you may have been related to somebody down the street, but it all happened because we may have been there all day. But the thing about the pandemic, what it taught us is that we did have to reimagine and probably that you didn't have to stay in church all day. So (laughs) I think that you had to think a lot of times what I've learned out in black church is that sometimes we do have, we had a lot of fluff, but it was like, they cut the fluff and give people what they want. People Mm. want the word. People want hope. You know, people are looking for a change. And I think during this pandemic, we were able to reassess and sit back and say, hmm, that may not work because folks' attention spans are not going to stay for 30 minutes. Mm. I mean, excuse me, for uh, two hours or three hours. If God does what he does, fine. But some things I think we had learned that, we may not have to do that. You can probably get effective ministry within that 30 minutes. Mm. That And I think bringing in young people, they're saying, okay, let's take some sound bites, Pastor. Let's break these clips down. Put them on TikTok so people can be more interested to say, mm. I heard you say this little part. 
But I wanted to come back to hear the whole message because I got this little 10-second sound bite, but now I'm here for the whole entire sermon. Yeah. So I think that we got to make sure that we're being effective and that when people do come to the church, that we're giving them, like I said, we're giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ to lead them back to the cross. And that, and that would be hope. Yes. That would be faith. That would be trust. And more so, that will be love. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are here for in the church. And collectively, that's what we learn at when I was a young kid. That's what you learn from the elders in mm-hmm. the church. You learn that faith that when uh, crisis come up against you, yes. why didn't that mother flinch in come her on. faith? Because she was rooted mm. in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're teaching, how to be a man and how to be a woman in Jesus' name. That's all I'll say, Marquise. Wow. <laughs> all right, well. Before they leave, let's hit them off with some hypotheticals and things that make you say, hmm. Now, since uh, since since my mom is, is one of our uh, featured panelists today, going to um, uh, hit y'all off with this first question right here. So what might show mama tell you before going into any store (laughs) a don't touch nothing b don't ask for nothing c don't look at nothing or d all the above d (laughs) D, all all the the above You know, you got hit with everything. Don't you touch. Don't you. Listen, when you go in here, don't be acting like you needy. I'm going here with one thing. Right. Coming out. <laughs> right. Right. Don't you even. Got the rules. Right. Don't even look like you right. want something. Because <laughs> Andrew's Mama, automatically you, know. Reverend, what you say ye? What say ye? I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yes. That was the thing. That was the thing. And then, and then, if you got the message through the clenched teeth, right? Like, like don't, don't you touch nothing. Don't well, see, speaking of the black church, they can be in the choir stand. No. You <laughs> acting up, and your mom look at you like you know you. When you see that, oh, you in for it. You, you yeah. know you, you in trouble. In, you know you're in for it. That, so that makes the service so much longer, right? Because you just, you just <laughs> sitting there <laughs> like. Oh man, it's coming! It's coming! <laughs> exactly, yes, sir. And when you get that beating at home, you're like, you just came from right. God. <laughs> exactly, that what? was good. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Spare the rod, spoil the child. <laughs> see, see? <laughs> that church, that's what they told us. <laughs> oh man, so um, so let's uh, let's have some other hypotheticals here. All right, so what is the best music movie? Of all time, we have a five heartbeats, B dream girls, C temptations, or D purple rain. Ooh. I'm mm. going to say, can you give me those one more time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough one. Yeah, it is. It's uh, a five heartbeats, B dream girls, C temptations, D purple rain. First of all, all of those have plays significant roles in the black community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oof, but if I could choose one, man, I'm really going to say The Temptations was mm. really a major one. But in my back of my mind, I really want to say The Five Heartbeats. Mm-hmm. Like, I really love The Five Heartbeats for many. I love them all for what they were worth. But The Temptations, I think, was a very... 
it just, you know, ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you think about all these different things and these different quotes, and I think about the temptations. But, I mean, to eat, to your point, oh, man, that's a hard one. And I know somebody would probably be like, well, it's this one, it's this one, mm. but it's a hard one. <laughs> I'll say Dreamgirls. Um, okay. But I agree with you. Uh, the only reason why I picked Dreamgirls is because Marquise, your dad and I, on our honeymoon, uh, while we were in New York City, we went to uh, see Dreamgirls. Oh, wow. So that's why I'm thinking of uh, Dreamgirls. And it was with the original, original cast. Yes, okay. the original cast. And so, and you, and you. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I can't okay. sing, but yeah. So I would say Dreamgirls because of the history connected with your dad. Oh, look at that. It sounds like y'all had a lot of fun before kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> going to New something York. Today, son. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Gone to New York and, and right. shows with the original cast. Broadway show, right. Right, right. right. Yeah. And then they had Marquise. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, so uh, so so our our last question here, uh, before we um, close it out, this, this actually uh, goes along with, with the monologue here. So uh, that one gospel song, Everyone knows, even if you didn't go to church, we have A, Mary, Mary, heaven. We have B, never would have made it, Marvin Sapp. C, Stump by Kurt Franklin. D, Break Every Chain, Tasha Cobbs. Mom, we'll start with you. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, I would say Stump because Kurt Franklin, he, that was on, um, other radio stations than gospel. Mm -hmm. So everybody, you know, when you saw them in the car, they were stomp. Yeah. yeah moving right. their heads and everything. So yeah, that that song transcended even outside of the the normal gospel songs or or who would hear it. So I would say stomp. Yeah, yeah. I call um, Kirk Franklin um, religious puff daddy. <laughs> that's, that's just, he just seems like, you know, right. he's, he's Pastor Diddy. But, right, right. <laughs> but how and about you? Said, you said stomp. And what was the one after that? Um, it was uh, stomp and, and break every chain. Oh, and the moment before that, it was um, uh, Marvin Sapp. Yep, yep. Yeah, never would have made so it. So here's my thing. I would have say for the group of the 90s. Mm hmm definitely stomp mm. I would say for the 21st century definitely never would have made, made it, it. Yeah. because I feel like I'll put it I'll say this stomp was a revolutional song because Kurt Franklin came on the scene and I remember he changed the traditional yes, sound of what gospel was. Yes. I mean, you had preachers that were like, what are you doing? Listen yeah. to stomp. I mean, but he changed the game and the fact that, his music was able to transform even into the club scene, yeah, into yeah. the secular scene. Yes. So it was on mainstream. To Reverend Sherry's point, it was on mainstream radio that people right. heard "Stomp" and everybody knew Kurt Franklin. Right. But then you had Marvin Sapp, and I think when you thought about "Never Would Have Made It," I think people got it, especially with the lyrics. Yeah. People mm. were really caught with the lyrics, and I, being someone that does sing, I had to tell some some people that. Um, I did love that song, but then after a while, when somebody has asked me thousand times to sing this at a funeral, yeah. I'll be like, <laughs> y'all do know it's other songs that we can sing other than Marvin God bless you, Marvin Sapp, if you're listening. But I was like, man, but everybody, I think, knew that song when it came out. Yeah. And what it was, and his song was able to even go and cross because yeah. Yeah. Um, 
of the awards and just the the messaging behind it when you heard never would have made it people stopped they knew with that message so i have to say both honestly 90s for stomp Mm -hmm. and never would have made it for the 21st century okay and at the same time so we were breaking every chain yeah that too absolutely we're breaking every chain yes we were saying never would have made it each of us have our own trials and tribulations how that song brought us through exactly but before that we were stomp right right exactly (laughs) you're right you're right yeah i think that um um the one that i'm going to choose is not on the list uh it's um um it's the god in me Okay. Oh, yeah. Was, and, I like that. And that was another God game changer. Right. Mary, yes. Mary. Right. Mary, 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 right? Yeah. And, and and Stomp. I think yes. that Stomp really, really kind of paved the way Absolutely. for for yes. a Mary, Mary Absolutely. to yes. come through because yep. it's the God in me, like. I vividly remember listening to that in the club right. and having a drink in my hand. You know, exactly. Me, you know, feeling. it was auto tune because, again, yes. that's bringing it to the 2000s. So yeah. that auto tune and everything. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Absolutely. And even the beat, the, the bass drop and everything. Like, yeah, yeah, they 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 really did. And they changed the game. Yeah. And and before uh, we uh, um, close it out, um, Kanye West song. Jesus walks. Yes. Mm. How do you categorize categorize that? Is it is it a a church religious song or or is it more on the secular side of things just discussing Jesus? Um, I'll say this that I think like I can't take away like what for what it's worth. If it brought somebody to Christ, I mean yes. Yeah, it is what it is, you yeah. know. But then I also know that maybe somebody in the club was just listening to it because it was Kanye that actually produced it. Right. But I can't never take away when somebody says, oh, man, you shouldn't listen to that. Well, if it drew somebody just by them hearing the one line, Jesus walks, would inquire, well, who is this Jesus? You know, where did he walk to? You know, so that could have actually been somebody's, you know, point to that. So, I mean, it's a lot behind that. And I understand, you know, it's a lot behind that because. Because of who it is that actually is singing the song. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I don't want to take away because it could have brought somebody just like, again, the stomp. There were a lot of churches that were against even having that song being played or talked about in their churches. But yet and still, it was a message that brought that younger generation of church that brought them closer to God. Yeah. And they, if you were to interview them today, they could say it wasn't, you know, and I, I'll say this back in the day, again, black church music, Mahalia Jackson and yeah. people like um, Sam Cooke, these individuals were who they were for that time frame. Yeah. Who it is. It may have been that that Kerr Franklin, the different ones. I even heard the Clark sisters when they had came on the scene. And then you have somebody like Kanye West that may have done his job, too. So, again, I think it all played. If it's building the body of Christ. Hey, I'm no, I can't say anything. I don't agree with everything that maybe the person does, but mm-hmm. at the same time, if the song brought that person closer, there it is. I love it. I love it. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, well, folks, that concludes our program. I want to thank again our guests for coming through and blessing us thank with their you. wonderful insights. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you both. Thank you. And from myself and the rest of the WITF family, we want to wish you a happy day and in the words of Tupac Shakur, Death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside while we're still alive. Mm-hmm. Never surrender. Jeez. I'm wow. Marquis Lupton. My 
everybody don't know Pepe Dan, we can dance, let the do the on do My name ain't Jojo, I do I can Pepe you, oh oh I'm the boss, I'm the king, you better, better watch out Let my pen and paper do the work, you gotta learn that I can Pepe you a dance, but you gotta learn that Pepe Dan, we can dance, everybody don't know Pepe Dan, we can dance, let the do the on Everybody don't know Pepe dance, make dance Let the do the song do I pepe dance, I make them dance Everybody don't know Pepe dance, make dance Let the do the song do